This is the Command Your Brand podcast, where we talk to world changers, visionaries, and founders, people that are doing big things and changing this planet in a positive way. We're learning their stories, techniques, and exactly what you need to know so that you can do things in a big way. The time is now. Get ready to take command of your brand. conversation we have today because I will say like I've been following this guy on Instagram for quite a while and he's got a powerful story and I don't know he's one of the nicest guys on social media at the same time so I'm excited to kind of get a chance to learn from him learn about the business he's built after the struggles he's been through our guest today is Joseph Cagey and he overcame a struggle with drug addiction as well as a prison term to build a business that now has done seven figures in business. So, Joe, thanks for hanging out with me today, man. Dude, I'm pumped up, man. You said I was a nice guy. I was like, hey, that's cool, man. I'm doing it. That's right. <laughs> you seem like you're always positive and you're always out to help, right? And I think to me, and maybe some other people have different opinions on this, I think the biggest thing about somebody is knowing that help is possible either for them or for someone else, right? Because if you don't think help is possible, then kind of like you're going to be more depressed, things are going to piss you off more often. Like you have to actually know and believe help is possible for you and others. Yeah. And that you're not alone. What I always say is I just want to be an example for other people. I want to be vulnerable to other people to allow them to be vulnerable to me as well. And that's why I leave the door wide open. It's just the authenticity, man. I struggle with stuff. I still go through stuff and I do that. So, you know, Hey man, it's okay. It's okay to be vulnerable, man. It's okay to be real. That's why let's get real. You know? So let me ask you this. You struggled with drug addiction. You served two prison terms. How did all of that happen? And I guess like coming out of that, like, how do you start a successful business? Because like, I'm going to tell you about a guy that was in my life a number of years ago. His name was Kirk. He had been jumped into a gang and everything. So he picked up the name of loyalty and he picked this up in prison. And he was one of the nicest human beings that I had ever met. But Kurt had got picked up for dealing heroin. Gets out of prison. He's clean. He wants to be clean. And he was working hard in the gym, taking care of himself. He's in great shape, but nobody would hire him. So what does Kurt do? He goes back to the only way he knew how to make money. And that was what got him sent back to prison. So for a lot of people, like it's a cycle that gets really hard to get out of. Sometimes not even because of them, but because of how others view them. And I guess for you, like, what was your experience like and how did you get out of that? Yeah. So to touch on number one, the limited beliefs that people put on you, I never wanted that to happen because that happened to me before. I allowed the world to tell Joseph because he was a felon in a drug act, they wouldn't hire me. And then I accepted that narrative into my life. And that's what happened. Like when I was younger, I wanted the world to tell me who I was supposed to be. And the truth is when you're trying to get the world to tell you, there's so many different people out in the world. So like when I was in high school and I hung out with the dudes who sagged their pants and wore long t-shirts and you would accept me if I did it, hey, let's do it. I'm going to wear sag my pants and wear long t-shirts. My dad always used to walk up to guys like that and be like, so I got some Velcro in the car. Can I give it to you? But anyway. <laughs> that was one thing my dad hated too. Like, it's funny, man. I carried those different personalities. Like even my dad was like, what the heck is this? You know what I mean? I've never seen you do that. And I'm like, what? What's wrong with it, dad? You know, stop bothering me. <laughs> but that's exactly what it was, bro. I was just running. Like I didn't know who I was. I was trying to figure out, like let the world tell Joseph who to be. And as long as you accepted me, I was okay. And that's what I was chasing. Yeah. But eventually it's not enough, right? Because eventually the world is not completely going to accept you. People are still going to judge you. 
And then at the end of the day, you're left with a mirror before you brush your teeth. Hopefully you are brushing your teeth, but, and you look at yourself and you're like, I don't know who I am. Mm. And then the first time I took drugs, it allowed me to ignore any of those feelings that made me feel like I don't know who I am. And it was a powerful actually feeling. I actually felt like some people say they felt like they lost control. I felt like I had control now. I felt like if I took those drugs, I can control my feelings now. But then eventually, if you don't have them and now you're left with yourself again, it's just deeper. I became the person I never wanted to be. And the truth is, I didn't even know who I wanted to be. But, you know, I swear I tell people this. If I watched a movie of who Joseph was from 14 to 26, I'd probably be like, someone needs to shoot that guy and get him out of the world. But take away the drugs and take away me trying to be somebody else and then figuring out who I am now. Dude, like I used to steal from my mother. I'd steal out of her purse. I'd steal out of my dad's purse. Like today, like I probably wouldn't sleep at night Mm -hmm. if I knew like a customer paid me an extra 10 bucks. I'd have to call and be like, hey, man, because I have this conscience in me today. But it's because I know who I am today. I know who I want to be. I know who I'm trying to become. And I'm not hiding and I'm not trying to get the world to approve that. So I guess in terms of your story, like you mentioned the drugs helping you with that, which it's interesting because that is a very different viewpoint than how I've heard other people talk about it. Like oftentimes they're trying to like mask something or something like that for you. It seemed like it was more initially to kind of change that. So how does that go from you trying to kind of handle a feeling to being addicted to being in prison, being out? Like, what is that experience like? You're saying when I came out of prison? Well, even like, like, I guess, how do you go from kind of, I tried this thing, it did something for me, mm-hmm. and now I'm doing more of it, and now I can't put it down, and now yeah. I'm in prison. Like, how does that happen? And I'm trying not to ask that from like an invalidated viewpoint. No. I'm interested in how it worked for you. Bro, it's a great question. I've actually never been asked that question, but I think it's a good question to bring context to it. And here's the reason I ask that, right? Like, you know, maybe somebody listened to this, they have a friend, right? And this friend, they had a drink to kind of mask something. And, you know, they have another one, they have another one, you know, they don't think they have a problem yet, right? Like that whole process is actually really important before the process of even like handling things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. And for me, what happened was, is when I first took opiates at the age of 14, I remember telling myself, this is what I'm going to do. I made a choice. I'm going to do this every day. Wow. And I remember when I woke up and I didn't have the opiates, I felt the feelings again. And then at that point, I have another choice to make. I'm either going to face my feelings and understand them and reflect instead of masking them or running from them. Now, yes, like I did say, it made me control. But the reason what I was doing was it was a cover up. It was allowing me to cover up those feelings. And that's why I felt in control, because instead of actually using my feelings, I felt like this is how I'm going to control them. I don't want to use them. I don't want to deal with them. I'm going to control them by taking drugs and alcohol. So every day I just started waking up and it was kind of really easy for me to get it. The guy I worked with had it. So it was like every day I could just go like buying something in the grocery store. And then I got to this place where when you don't have drugs and you become sick, it's called dope sick. And it's the worst feeling. Like it's so crazy. There's times where your body starts getting chills. And till this day, like when I get goosebumps, it reminds me of that sickness that you get where you're just cringy, you get hot, you get cold. And then that pain right there is worse than the emotional pain. You're dealing with both. And at that point, you're like, I got to do whatever I got to do to go get drugs because I'm craving it now. Now I'm like, I'm depressed, I'm suicidal, and my body feels like crap. And the only Mm. thing I can think about is who has money so I can go get money to go buy drugs. And of course, that's how I got to prison. I stole from anybody and anyone. I would always steal from family because at first I would say my family's not going to call the law on me. But then it got to a place where, to be honest with you, I welcomed the thought of a police officer trying to come catch me. I literally was at this place where I thought, I don't care what happens to me. If I even died in a car accident, it's okay, man. It's whatever. That was my mindset at that point because, again, 
And what's crazy, and I say this all the time, I was using drugs to mask this stuff, but I promise you today people are doing the same thing, but it might not be drugs and alcohol. It might be pornography. It might be buying stuff. And then they're losing their identity and they're wondering why I don't know who I am anymore. I was thinking about this the other day. That's a really, really excellent point. Like even social media, right? Like you look at like social media allows someone to be who they aren't really. It allows them to be something else and it could become like an addiction, right? Like they need this thing, like they need the likes, they need the comments, they need these things because that's their sense of validation. Of course. And it's like, that's the external world. Like I was funny, my daughter, she's 17 years old. She's actually my stepdaughter, but I call her my daughter and she's on TikTok and she wants to go viral. And I always ask them like, what's going to happen when you go viral? Like you're going to get a million views. Now what? What's the purpose behind that? Like, do you feel like you're more significant? Like we actually had a real conversation and really what she felt was that I feel like if I got views, it would validate who I am as a person. I'm like, okay, now there's the problem. Let's talk about that because we're all chasing the viral moment. We're all chasing, we want to get views. Even I, when I thought about building a brand on social media, I had to reflect. I said, why do I want this? That's really interesting because you and I had a conversation when you were like thinking about this. Yes. And we had a really deep conversation, but continue. Yeah. And going back to that conversation, I was at that place where like, I know I want to build a brand, but why? You know, I don't want to do it because I need a million followers, but why am I searching for that? And what I found was I really just wanted to be an example for people. And I wanted to give them an open door to connect with me so I can help them. And then I figured out was, hey, how would I help people? What did Joseph overcome? Everything I share on my social media or my podcast or I talk to you about is because I've been there, I've overcome it, and I'm just giving you my perspective. People tell me, you always think you're right. I said, I never tell anybody what's right or wrong for them. I'm just sharing you a perspective. I'm sharing you what I learned and how I overcame that stuff. Because let's be honest, man, when I got sober and I got out of prison, that's what helped me. Podcasts and YouTube videos and Instagram people like Eric Thomas, Ed Milet, Gary Vee, all these guys that I listened to became mentors and it's what helped me. And that's mm-hmm. the way I'm trying to help other people now. But the views and the viral and the stuff like that, I think people just want that because there's really something deep down inside of them that they haven't realized yet. And I go to those deep conversations. They want validation that they're enough. Maybe they feel more significant. Maybe they'll feel more important. And the truth is, is nothing's going to change when you get that. I told my daughter, I can pay for ads right now for you and give you a million views. (laughs) You're not going to feel any different. I think that's really, really interesting, right? Because it could be like, all right, if we get this next thing, because here's the thing is I think we put the connotation to drugs. But it's in so many things we chase in our lives, right? Like when I get this thing, I'm going to feel significant. When I get to this place, I'm going to feel significant. Or when this relationship finally gets to where it needs to be, I'm going to feel significant. And I think that's a really great point, man, because I never looked at it that way. It's actually a lot of what we're chasing is significance and we're missing that in a lot of ways. I say this all the time when I share my story, like even in the rooms of recovery, recovery is a big part of my life and I'm involved in it here in Jacksonville. And I say this, drugs were not my problem. Drugs were my solution to my problem. Mm-hmm. So when people might hear my story and they'll say, well, I'm not on drugs or anything, I'm like, you're missing the point. I don't want you to believe that because you're not on drugs and alcohol, it can't help you. Drugs and alcohol were the solutions to Joseph's problems. Mm-hmm. So when I took away the drugs and alcohol and I came home from prison, I still was dealing with Joseph. So how did you change that then? Because like talking to you now, it seems like you have this very different understanding of life than the guy you're describing. Like, what is that moment? What is that change? What is that thing that happens? What happened for me, it happened when I realized that I almost had a self-belief that maybe, and it wasn't even a yes. That's what's crazy. Like some people would be like, I knew I deserved better. It wasn't that for me. I was sitting in a 10 by 10 cell. I was always getting in trouble and I was still using drugs in prison and I wasn't doing the right thing at all. But I sat in a 10 by 10 cell with four months left in my prison sentence. And there's a guy who was in there and he'd been in prison about eight or nine times 
older than me. And he just looked at me and I'll never forget it. Like it's like words that I'll never forget. And he said, you're going to be just like me, bro. And that's exactly what he said to me. And for some reason at that moment, I said, I don't think I have to be that. And that's all it was. It was a quick thought of maybe I can do something else. And that thought transitioned to, well, what could it be? I knew I needed to expand my mind. I didn't know anything. I didn't understand anything. All I knew was how to get high. I didn't know how to deal with feelings. Well, I got in tune with a higher power for myself because I didn't have that confidence in myself in that moment. And then I felt like God did for me what I couldn't do for myself. When I got out of that cell, the first person that came up to me, because you got to remember, I was getting high, so the people knew what I wanted when I got out. And I just said, hey, I'm good. And it's funny, I think people thought like I was a snitch, because it was like really weird. And nobody connected with, nobody wanted to talk to me, they left me alone. It was Mm -hmm. the best thing that happened to me. And what I started doing in that moment, I started reading books for the first time in my life. And the first book I picked up was Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Affected People. And this book changed my life. And there's a chapter in it that called Begin with the End in Mind. And this is where it started for me. If you never read that book, what he talks about in Begin with the End in Mind is he asks you to close your eyes and I'll never forget I did it. And to walk into a church and imagine there's a funeral. And that you're walking into a funeral, people are crying. Somebody's about to walk up to the pulpit and speak. There's a casket in the front. When you walk up to that casket, you look inside. It's you inside of that casket. This is your funeral. Your life is over. What do you want people to say about you when you die? And that was almost like an epiphany moment. I've never thought about that. Mm -hmm. I knew who I didn't want to become. I knew who I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be the guy who was on drugs and stolen. I just didn't know who I wanted to be. And that was the first time I actually started realizing who I wanted to be. So it gave me the what I wanted. And now I just had to figure out how. How do I become that person? I had to deal with a lot of things in my past. I had to uncover it. I always talk about this. We run from our past and it's some people hear that and they're like, you know, ignore the past. It's gone. And I'm like, I'm not asking you to lift up the past and say it defined you. But there were some things that happened in my past that I carried regret. I carried shame. I carried guilt. And if I didn't open that door to deal with it, when I opened the door, there was a fire inside that was affecting my life. So all I did was I opened the door, I put the fire out, and the good thing today is I was able to shut the door on my past, and now I know that my past doesn't define me, it makes me who I am. I can use my past now to help people. So that's what makes you an excellent entrepreneur. That's the thing right there, and here's why. So I wrote a book earlier in the year, and one of the things I talk about is like the vision you need as an entrepreneur. As an entrepreneur, you have to be able to look at the past and acknowledge the past so you can learn from it, but you can't ignore it, right? And you also have to be able to look in the future. And to me, like hearing that, one thing, I would say that's what makes you an excellent entrepreneur. You can look at the past, you can understand it, you can see it, and you can be like, okay, so based on this, I'm going to change my plan here, here, and here, but I'm not going to live in it and say, okay, those failures are going to define me. Anyway. (laughs) You know what's funny? No one has ever told me that, and you're dead on. Like, you just said that right now, and I'm thinking about how people on my team say, like, when there's a problem in our business, like, I don't have time to sit there and complain. Well, because a lot of people bring that loss. So here's the thing. You look at a loss and you learn from it. You don't think that loss is going to have to happen again because that same situation exists again. You know what I mean? When I first started my fence company and like we'll transition kind of into business, but you just talked about something. One of my first projects as a fence company was a contractor called me and said, we have a daycare center and it was like a 15, $20,000 job, which like at the time was like, I didn't know how much I was going to make, but I knew like how much they were paying. I was so fired up and so like pumped. I was putting up fence out of a Camry. I'm brand new. So like I go there, I bid the job and I underbid it. Like I ended up losing $7,000 on the time. I don't have seven grand. I bought the material from my supplier at the time. So when the job is done, they're like, Hey, you owe us $7,000. I haven't even made any money. I actually had to pay my guys out of my savings account. And at this point I'm sitting here like, I don't know what to do. My supplier, I owe them seven grand. And the truth is at that point, I only had two choices. This is what I always say. I can either quit 
or I could figure out how to move on. And I can't quit. There's no quitting in me. There's no point because I'm not going back to working for somebody. I knew I didn't want to do that because when you work for somebody, I feel this is just my experience. And this is what I try to create in my team. I don't want them to feel that, that they put limiting beliefs on me. I don't want that. And that's what happened to me personally. So I went to my supplier and I was just straight with them. This is what happened. And what's crazy is they looked at me like, hey, it's fine. Just pay it off every week. Do you still want to buy a fence from us? And I was like, are you serious? They were like, yeah. And today I generate about $3 million worth of business for them. Mm -hmm. So yes, I had that failure, but like so many people would just quit. Maybe I shouldn't have done this. And those thoughts came to me. I'm not going to lie to you and say, I didn't think about it. I've thought about quitting my business. I thought about selling it sometimes, but they're just a thought. What I do with that thought is more important. So what I did with those thoughts was maybe I'm not good enough. I'm like, well, if I choose that route, I got to quit. And I already failed. What did I learn from it? And how do I grow? And I think that's why as a business owner, we grew so fast because it's still the mindset I'm trying to push to my team. Hey, look, I know we lost. I know we figured that out. How do we make sure it doesn't happen? Okay, now on to the next thing. Let's stop talking about it. We figured it out. Let's go. Let's move forward. So let me ask you this, and sorry about that. That's the ADHD in me, man. My brain is all over the place at at 20 different times. I had to point that out, though, because it just seems like a really interesting point to me, because a lot of people, they have a loss, right? They keep kind of going in their business journey, their life journey, whatever it is. They get into a situation, and they're like, oh, you know, I was in a situation like this before, and I lost. Okay, cool. I'm going to lose again. But Somebody that does what you're saying you do, you look at it, you say, okay, I lost in the situation previously. This is what I wouldn't do again in this situation. Doesn't mean it's going to happen right now again, right? Like the dog's not going to bite me again. I've learned what to do when I'm in the situation with the dog. So I guess like looking at that then, you know, coming back around to, you talk about finding significance, finding something else in your life. How did you not get caught in, I guess, kind of that, the whole idea of recidivism, right? I talked about my friend, Kurt, good guy you know, had kicked the drugs, wanted to do something else, but people wouldn't hire him. So I guess, how did you handle that? And then how do you go from there to being a business owner that has had the success you just mentioned? Yeah, I allowed fear to be the reason why I never wanted to be limited because I was afraid of that. Like when I got out of prison the second time, the first thing my probation officer said to me was, Joseph, this is the second time you got out of prison. You're on probation for two years. 93% of people go back to prison in your situation. And I heard that and my first thought was, that means 7% don't. And I don't want to be that 93%. I would have nightmares. I still have dreams today, man. Like I had nightmares because I knew if I went back on drugs, I'm going back to prison. So I was so afraid of it that that fear is what allowed me to make sure it didn't happen. And what's crazy is when I came home, I had so much regret and I also had so much compassion towards my family that I felt like I owed them also because they were there for me. So what I also did was I came home and I started to live the life that they wanted me to live. Mm-hmm. I started following what my dad wanted me to do. And within about three months into that, I felt the same way I felt as when I was on drugs because I felt like I was now again living a life somebody else wanted me to live and I wasn't happy with it. Mm-hmm. And I remember relating that to if I continue down this path, it's possible that I'll become depressed and go back. on. I always went back to that. I'll become depressed. I'll go back on drugs. I'll go back to prison. I don't want that. So that means I don't want this. And I had to sit down heart to heart with my dad and said, look, I know this is a life that you asked for me. He wanted me to move to Detroit, open the dry cleaners, grow up in the Catholic church he was going to. I mean, I'm still spiritual. Just I wasn't into where my dad path wanted me to be. I knew it wasn't sure. about what my path was. Well, no, I can understand that, right? Because like I went to college. I got a master's. I got all this stuff. And I was a high school teacher for two years and I was miserable into it because that's what my parents wanted me to do. And, you know, it was for me, like my mom having a stroke at that point in my life made me look at it and was like, all right, you know, I have to do something different because, you know, it's the life pattern has been interrupted. So I get where you're coming from on that. 
and honestly, as I started down that path, like what happened was what I actually started to do was I started to like, it was the first time where I was like, I'm going to create my own path. And there was two things as I was listening to people, like I said, I'd listen to podcasts and I'd listen to YouTube. I had to be responsible. Like if I'm going to create my own path and I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to choose the wrong route, it's okay, but own it. Like don't blame other people for it because if you want to live that life where you want to blame other people, then just go live the life your dad wanted for you to do. And I sure. remember hearing that stuff and it was clear as day. All right, Joseph, choose this path you want to live. Limitless life, being everything you want to be, chasing the business owner, and if you're wrong, you're wrong. I still say that today. Hey, if I made the wrong decision, I made the wrong decision. I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to move on. But I'll own it. I'll own my yep. wins. I'll own my losses. And it felt like almost now Joseph's discovering himself. Now I can understand. I mean, even today, I still have fears and I still have character defects that come out. But I'm constantly trying to understand who I am because I don't want to lose track of who Joseph is. Because again, I always say if I lose track of who I am, I'll become depressed and I'll go back on drugs and I'm going back to prison. That's the route if I don't become self-aware and I'm not looking in the mirror and I'm blaming other people. I always look over my shoulder and that's there. To me, that's mm -hmm. always there. And that fear drives me every day to say, I got to keep going. I got to keep moving. I got to stay in some perspective. I got to keep gratitude. I got to push. I can't give up. I can't stop now because if I stop, I'm going to end up back on drugs. I literally have to give myself that type of like catastrophic event that it could happen. Some people are like, really? You think you'll get? Yes, I will. Because that's what motivates me to wake up every day. It's the same thing if somebody's afraid of being homeless or someone's afraid of losing their children. That's the motivator. Sometimes that fear could become that motivator. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've allowed it to do for me. You know, that's super interesting. And I was going to say a point to that now. And now my brain just stopped working. <laughs> you ever have that happen where you're like, oh my God, I got this brilliant time. point. And then I usually write it down and then I just totally forgot it. I stopped taking notes. I used to do that. Like, I'm, these are all the stuff I'm going to talk about. I usually <laughs> always have a notepad next to me and it like ran away from me. Say, I don't know where my three-year-old, like, so I couldn't find like the moose for my hair the other day. I found it in my three-year-old's <laughs> toy bin. It seems to be where everything goes. Here's what I was going to say. So looking at that, you look at how society views things and society views things through kind of this victimhood lens. And then when I hear you talking about that, you're talking about like, okay, well, this is a situation. This is how I'm taking responsibility. This is what I'm going to do about it. This is where I'm going. That's not how a victim communicates. And when I think when a lot of times we talk about people that have either been to prison or have struggled with drug abuse or struggle with alcohol abuse, we talk about them being a victim of. Do you get what I'm saying? And it's like, of well, course. that thing happened to you. And when the way you're talking about it is like, well, I did this thing. And this is what I'm going to do so I don't do that thing again. Yep. So I guess how do you not have a victim viewpoint on that then? Like how do you have like kind of this differentiated viewpoint which is different than what society wants you to believe? Of course. So what I do personally, I believe if I become a victim, I start blaming other people, right? And I want other people to start changing. And I've done that before where I said the world is not doing what I want it to do. And the truth is, like, I don't care any situation anybody's in, you have a part. I don't care what it is. Listen, I was molested from the age of six to age of nine. Now, somebody would tell me, what's your part in that? What's your part, Joseph? Are you going to literally tell me you have a part? And in my mind, I say, I could choose how I dealt with that because I know how I dealt with it. I can sit there and play the blame game all day long, but I don't want to give anybody power over my life. Mm -hmm. And if I am going to become the victim, that means I'm blaming other people and they have power over my life. If my wife doesn't talk to me the way I think she's supposed to talk to me, then all of a sudden my wife can take my happiness from me. If you may do something to me that bothers me and I want to be the victim, I can't change you. I can't change anybody, but all I can do is change how I react to them. 
And the victim mentality, to be honest with you, I think people do it because sometimes people get comfortable in the self-pity. Like instead of actually saying, I have a part, what can I do to change? Because change is hard and people don't want to do that sometimes. They always say, you know what? I'm not where I'm at because the prison system did that to me. I could have blamed the fact that I can't rent a house because I would try to go rent a house. I literally would filled out 15 different applications. And at this time, I'm making 100 grand a year. I could put a full down payment. I got a business. I have proven track record, but nobody would even talk to me because I checked yes. I have a choice. I can either say, this is retarded. This is stupid. I hate the system. Or I can say, I'm going to keep filling out applications. I'm Mm going to keep moving. It's a choice. And I just don't want to make that choice where I'm like being a victim to me just is almost like depressing, man. To do that to someone else to me does them a true disservice, right? Like, oh, poor you, or I'm sorry that happened to you. Like, because if that happens, then- that means you can't get yourself out of that situation because you're saying somebody else has given you a license to be where you are. Do you get what I'm saying? Of course. And it happened already. Like you can't change it. You're already yeah. in pain. Use it. Do something with that pain. If you really feel like you weren't treated something well, well, you're in control. And again, I even say this to my team as a business owner. If you're going to let a customer ruin your day, you're going to take that energy home with you instead of you could have just killed it. In my mind, the victim thing, I just want to kill it. Like I almost want to kill it where it's at and say, you know what? What's my part? It's always what I'm trying to reflect on is like, even there's times where my pride will get in the way and I'm like, you know what? That person cussed me out. Do I have a part? I still feel like, could I have reacted differently? You know, should I have actually hung up the phone a little bit earlier? Did I say a few things? That's funny too. Cause like, <laughs> I will tell you, Joseph, like I have a hot head, man. I do. And I'm my wife's you. like, this is why you're married to me because she knows where to stop me. She knows where to be like, no, 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 no. We're not going to do that. You're going to do this. So it's like at the same time, it's also understanding like where to put people in your life to kind of fill in those spots where you're kind of inadequate in some ways. Like I have a hot head. I know it. But like oh, yeah. the way you're talking about things is you're talking about Joseph now is somebody that's very self-aware, right? Like you're very self-aware. Does it mean to do everything right? No. Does it mean to do everything wrong? No. But you're self-aware and you understand what's happening. Like it sounds like Joseph at 18 was not very self-aware. How do you become self-aware like that to, we're never going to be perfect, man. We're not going to be perfect 100% of the time, but you're aware enough to try to make the best decisions for your life. How did you get there? Well, I was crippled so much by that, man. I felt like I was crippled because... When I was not self-aware, it was almost like, it's like I said this earlier, it's like you had a zit and you're going to high school and you're so focused on your zit that you don't realize like everybody else has zits too. And I swear, man, I heard that somewhere and I was like, that was so true to my life. I was the worst critic of myself and that's why I wasn't self-aware. That's why I wasn't paying attention to me because to be honest with you, I didn't want to because I criticized myself so much. Like I haven't accomplished nothing. I haven't this. And again, it was that victim mentality. So what helped me to become more self-aware was to understand that, hey, the things that you've done, the mistakes that you've made, it's not who you are. What can you learn from them? What did I learn from being molested at the age of six? Well, I could tell you what I learned about myself. I learned that that's where I actually figured out how to not be real because I was told at the age of six to eight, don't talk to anybody about that. No family member talked to me. So when I reflected on what I thought was something traumatic, I got something so good out of it. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's why I don't want to talk to anybody about my problems because at a young age, I learned that and I started reflecting, why did I do that? Well, because my family would say, we don't want anybody to judge us. And that was what I was always taught. So I just started really looking at the stuff and understanding that these things didn't happen to me. And I've heard all people have a controversial thing when things happen for you, but I think it's a perspective thing. And again, I had to make the choice. 
Well, it's kind of like learning to use the motion, right? Like learning to use the motion of like adversity and things that happen to you. Like learning how to use that in the right way. Like I died at 19. I got last rights and everything. As I mentioned, I almost lost a parent at 24. Like those things suck, right? And they happen to you. But like it's transformational. How can you go into that one way and come out some way different and use the motion? The motion sucks sometimes, but how can you use it, right? Yeah. And I don't want to like stop growing, man. Like I'm yeah. so in love with the growth process and I'm so in love with being in this process of becoming better. Like, dude, just the other day, my wife and I got in an argument and I swore I'm hardheaded just like you. So people here, I'm not <laughs> perfect, dude. I'm still doing this stuff today. Two days ago, I was hundred percent confident. My wife shouldn't have said what she said. And I blamed her for everything. Yeah. And it took me a 24 hours before I said, okay, Joseph, <laughs> you're not getting anywhere with this again. Here you go. And like those voices come to me, man. Like it's real because I don't want to veer off of, again, blaming my wife. Like I can't control her. As soon as I reflected, I was like, holy cow, there was so much that I could have changed. And it's hard. You got to throw your pride aside because we have pride and ego. And that's, I think, what stops people from becoming self-aware. And I think pride stops us from actually saying, hey, man, this is my fault, bro. Yes. I apologize. 100%. I'm so sorry. 100%. Because it's the simplicity of, I just can't say that or I just can't do that or whatever it is. And it's sometimes just, you got to freaking get over yourself sometimes, man. And I think that can be the hardest part. And you give other people permission to do the same thing. Like I just did that with my team and my fence company. I took four of my leaders and I came to them and I said, look, what I was really thinking in my mind was we need to level up. It's time to level up. But it started with me. And mm -hmm. I said, this is where, man, I've been messing up, guys. Like I realized that I need to be reaching out to you guys more and connecting with you guys more instead of just being transactional. And man, I'm so sorry for that. And dude, they all opened up to me. They're like, you know what? I've actually felt that, man. I'm really, thank you for saying that. And you know what? This is what I need to do better. So me being able to say, hey, I'm sorry. This is what I did wrong. How could I make it better? It gave other people permission to actually say the same thing back to me. So let me ask you this, because something I noticed about you particularly, and as I mentioned, I see this in your social posts, I see this in what you do in the content you create and how you live your life. It seems like gratitude's a really big part of your life. And for me, I'm a big believer in what you put your attention on, you're going to get more of, right? So like two people walk into a city. One guy says, man, this city sucks. I hate it. Guess what? He's going to get a flat tire. He's going to get beat up. He's going to get robbed. Like everything bad's going to happen to that guy. The other guy goes, man, this is a new city. I'm going to have some great opportunities here. Somebody takes him out to dinner. He finds a hundred bucks on the sidewalk. Like all these good things happen to him. And so your viewpoint has so much to do with what you experience. And I guess for you, like how important is gratitude in your life and how do you use it? Gratitude is everything, man. Gratitude and perspective are two things to me that is everything. When I lacked gratitude, I forgot where I came from. And I'm actually getting better at this because like I told you, I'm hard-headed and I have no patience for complaining, man. Like I almost, and it's tough when you're a husband and you, you have no patience for complaining because sometimes your wife needs to complain and you just can listen instead of just trying to coach her. But I always say this, man, like what do I have to complain about? I'll put myself in states, like I purposely tell myself when my wife will ask me like, sorry, babe, the food's not perfectly hot and I'll like laugh. And I'm like, you know, when I was in prison, I used to eat really cold food. I never want to forget and that's what gratitude is, is like we lack so much perspective. If you really think about the stuff that when I'm complaining, if I ever complain, which it does sometimes happen, yeah. the first thought that comes to my mind is if a buddy of mine just called me from prison and I complained to him about what I did, what would he say to me? He'd probably laugh. Yeah, he'd laugh at me. And that's the thing is we lack that perspective of like, what are we really complaining about? Why is complaining nowadays about the president and all the stuff that's going on in our life helping you? Like, I understand it's not, it's not at all. And I've gotten caught in that stuff. Like recession or not, this or not, like I'm going to keep moving. And I think like for us, like when the pandemic first hit, 
everybody else started pulling back, we hired more people. Because I'm like, hey, whatever. These are people I couldn't hire before. Like, there's always opportunities out there, man. Yeah, and like I said, man, what happens when you get in a lack of gratitude, I really believe that's where the complaining starts. Mm-hmm. If you lack gratitude, it's my first thought. And dude, I've heard this before and it's like very extreme, but I have been places where I'm like, man, I'm feeling like I'm having a lack of gratitude towards my family because it's starting to frustrate me. I'm getting very impatient. Why am I getting impatient? I'll literally take myself to a room and I'll close my eyes and I'll envision the fact of losing my children and my wife. And it's a very extreme thing. And I'm giving credit to Gary V. This is where I heard it. And it, it literally helps me. It's extreme, but it takes me to a state where I'm emotional. And I picture just, I was driving to work and I literally picture myself like where somebody calls me and they're like, dude, your wife and your kids were just killed. You're not going to have them anymore. And I think about that. And I think about having to go to the hospital and carry my daughter. And I think about not seeing them. Even now I think about that stuff and it's emotional. And I open my eyes and dude, I'm not complaining about anything. My kids are there. It puts me in that state. You know, I had an experience not quite like that. Like, I don't know if you've ever had moments like this. Like, I know you've got kids. My kids are, I think, quite a bit younger than yours, but I have a one and a half year old and uh, like an almost four year old. And the thing I've ended up looking at, because you know what? Life moves fast, right? You start thinking like everything you're doing is so significant and it is, you're building a business. But like, I think to me, I had this sudden realization, like looking at a picture of my three-year-old, I'm like, holy shit she's not going to be this little forever. I'm only going to have this opportunity with her for so long. And if I burn this at 16, she may not like me. And so like, it kind of made me view things differently. I don't know if you've had an experience like that, but it made me really view things and how I operated and how I was being differently. Yeah. And something similar, like I even think about this when it comes to my, I have a three-year-old and a two-year-old. Both of them are just like me, high energy. They want to go. They want to run. Okay. So our kids are close to the same age. Okay, cool. So I have my wife from her previous marriage. She had three children. So there's an 18, a 17, and an eight-year-old that are not mine. But I call them my that children. That was my confusion. That was your connection. Like, That's where yeah, it was. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So my wife and I together, we have a three and two. So what I think about this all the time is like I always think about regret. And I never want to regret that I never spent time with my kids. I never want to regret that like I missed out on those moments. Because I remember as a kid, like sometimes I look back and I'm like, man, I really think my dad missed out on some moments, you know, yeah. in my life. And I don't want to do that to my kids. So there's times where I am tired. And like my daughter wants to like do some piggyback rides and like I'm exhausted. But like the first thought that really comes to my head and I thank God for it is one day she's not going to want to do this, man. And you're going to wish she could ride on your back and you're going to regret that you didn't do those moments. So it's just I want to be present in those moments. So something similar that to yeah. you of what you said. But it's like the small stuff too, right? Like I have meetings back to back to back. But you know what? I had a couple minutes in break. Honey, let's go look at the ducks. We want to look at the duckies. Oh, I love look at the duckies. A minute and a half, she looks at the duck, she plays the duck, she says, okay, dad, I'm going to go play now. Thank you, daddy. I love you, daddy. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't have to be hours. It just has to be attention. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's being in the moment. That's what you just said to me, is you were in the moment. Yeah. You know, you found a moment to be in the moment. I always say, like, I'm a husband and father first. That's what it is for me. So, like, when I'm in those moments, I'm just like, how do I cherish every single one of these moments? And how do I make more of them? You know, and it's in every aspect. People talk about balance and it's like, I don't know what that is, man. Sometimes I'm unbalanced in family life and I got to like take more break and do that. Like doing the podcast and the business and the coaching and the recovery, it's a lot. But like sometimes there's areas in my life that become unbalanced. But then when they do like, dude, I'll take like two, three days off from work and be like, dude, I'm hanging out with the family now. I need to focus more here. And I'm constantly putting those, like I always say, seven different hats. We wear seven different hats. I'm taking one off. I'm putting another one on. Sometimes I try to put two hats on. I could be dad and husband at the same time. But there's times a hat gets dusty. I got to pick that hat up and put it off. And I'm constantly trying to do that. 
Joseph, I'm super grateful to you for this conversation, man. This is, we kind of got into to more than I hoped for here. And I'm really appreciative to you of that. And I know for you, what you've been through and what you've created and kind of where you've gotten to in your life, it's really important that you're kind of like flowing help back to others. So kind of before we kind of end off here, for people listening, how do you want to help them and how can they connect with you? Dude, the way I want to help them is exactly what you said. I want to connect with them. I want them to know like everything I put out when you send me a message on social media, I've connected with some people on there that we just get real with each other. We just have real honest conversations. So all my social medias are at Joseph K-A-J-Y-K-G. Like DM me, let's have a conversation. Like this is why I do what I do. And I always tell people, take advantage of my free time right now. Like please take advantage of it. Like I wanna be an open door. I wanna connect with people and I wanna give them the okay to be vulnerable. I wanna give them the okay to just listen in. I'll be authentic. I'll be vulnerable with you. I'm just an example, but I want to be somebody that can actually, you can lean on. We can have conversations. And I always say, let's just get real together. Let's walk through life together. Well, Joseph Cagey, thanks for hanging out with me today, brother. Of course, man. Thanks for having me, brother.